we're going to look in Psalm 91, look at it as closely as we can. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but I will, I will not come near you. It will not come near you. You want to get the theology right on that one? Actually, if I may pause, that word you is very emphatic in the text. Let me read that sentence again. I feel I've done injustice to it. It will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him. Because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. There's a certain childhood feeling that over time begins to fade away. Well, let's... See if you can go back with me. This childhood feeling of security in the nest. Being three years of age may seem like a strange place to begin Psalm 91, but believe me, take my word for it, it's got a lot to do with it. I'm reminded of how much the feeling of security meant at age three. I have some memories. You probably do, I'm sure, as well. I was loved. Protected and safe. Somebody else was in charge. I wasn't thinking so much that God was in charge, though, you see, who was. Uh, But I knew that there were adults in the house who were bigger, more experienced, and who just took care of things. So when you're a child, if your family is running reasonably well, the right way. The burdens were relatively small. Someone else was paying the bills, buying the food. Didn't have to worry about filling out an income tax. Didn't even know what it was. Car repairs, no. You could crawl in your bed, pull up the covers, no worries or cares. You were safe and secure, sleeping under your parents' wings. Looking forward to the next morning. Breakfast would be there. Somebody else was in charge. Somebody big, strong, experienced. That's the one reason I think children sleep so well. Ah, those days. (laughs) Their nest is sheltered and feathered. But if the truth were stated publicly, I'm about to state it. Adults crave this same kind of sense of security. 
let me walk you through just a little bit. Let's go to the visitor center for just a moment. Okay, I know you want to get right out on the battlefield, but let's, let's look at the visitor center here for a moment for this 91st Psalm. First thing I bring to your attention is the fact that what you know is that we all live and wander in a wilderness of insecurity. Now, I know Americans, have, uh, we've got a lot of perks that help to work against the feelings of insecurity. Just when you get in your automobile, just consider the things that are around you that want you to, they want you, the manufacturer, they want you to feel secure. If somebody gets too close to you when you're backing up, ding, 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 ding. Too close over the other lane, ding, 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 ding. And on it goes. You can get cameras up above your car. You can look down. I haven't figured that one out yet. I want to look down on top of my car, but uh, if I had one that did that. But anyway, what happened? What happened? Well, in the garden, it all fell apart. Speaking of cars, the wheels came off. (laughs) Man's rebellion against God and his expulsion from paradise left all of us, the human race, with one chronic condition of separation, anxiety. Lack of security. That's why it's there. We live in an evil world. It's filled with all kinds of dangers. And this psalm calls us to the fact of the shadow of God's wings in the light of these dangers, some of them. For some of us, things haven't turned out quite the way we expected. We had hoped for this or that and look at what it is now. Some of us have been betrayed. Our health has grown more fragile. Insecurities, they creep up on us from who knows where, but they can sure come in. And we can think of all kinds of worst-case scenarios. We can get better at that, actually, (laughs) as we get older. What ifs? But Psalm 91 is here for us. It's one of the moods of faith. You hear my language here, moods of faith. The different ways of understanding how confidence in God expresses itself in different circumstances. There are some hymns that have come from this psalm. That shouldn't surprise you since the psalm served as the church hymnity for years, for centuries. But I mean hymns in the hymn writing age, certain hymns, And is there care in heaven? And he liveth long who liveth well. Hymns from the psalm. Well, what the psalmist is doing in Psalm 91, he's celebrating only one of the moods of faith. Now, I'm setting us up for something here, and I hope I don't get too subtle with it, but I got to be a little bit because I don't want to play my full hand right up front that you've heard that I've said one of the moods of faith. And now I have spoken of celebrating one of the moods. So you may think, and if you really are thinking and thought, well, let me put it this way, I don't want to insult anyone. You may, may not have occurred to you, and I can understand why. When you read through this psalm, somebody sitting out there just may have thought, hmm, Sounds like to me that we've got some kind of an ironclad guarantee that no trouble will come to us. Oh, really? Okay, just hang on to that. And let me give you another little, um, just another little clue. And actually, I'm going to kind of show you part of my hand on this. Well, the psalm's hand. It's not mine. It's what the psalm reveals. Is that... There is really no final evil that will befall us. Could you hold that? If you write notes down, just put that, and we're going to come back. Put that down, we're going to come to it. And can harm, well, this psalm would tell us that no harm can fall, harm come to the children of God. But do we need to provide a rider to that? Let's look at that and see. All right. Now, I hope I've given you a few clues, keys to what we need to see come out in this psalm. Now, I want you to do this with me. We're still in the visitor center. We haven't gotten into it. We're going to walk through the psalm, but I want you to notice in doing so that this psalm has three stanzas to it. 
You look in your Bible, and if you take notes, or if you like to write in your Bible, I love to write in my Bibles. Just scribble it up, color it, and all that. Never got over coloring books. And I could find you could do it with the Bible. Look at the first two verses, and you will see the pronoun I appears there. And then in, in verses 3 through 13, you're going to see a shift. The pronoun you occurs all through verses 3 to 13. Then in verses 14 through 16, look at the pronoun I. It comes back. Now, we have to sort it out. Who is the I in the first two verses? Who are the you in the middle part of it? That one shouldn't be too difficult to figure. And then when you look in the last few verses, who is the I there? All right, stay with me. Now let's, let's proceed. And there are several questions, and I've tried to put them out here in this uh, um, visual that you have behind me. I can't read it back there, but I think that says the same thing as this. But uh, follow along, and there, there's some questions that need to be uh, looked at and answered, and I intend to answer those questions as we go through here. Now, the first thing I need to do is make a correction. Your reading, I think, unless it was corrected after I submitted it, which it probably wasn't, and then I've, what I've tried to do is capture what I think is what really vibrates in these first two verses. And I would put it this way, that to be under God's wings is the place for the perfections of God. I think it, you have pro, pro, the protections of God. Oh, right, I mean, that's good, but that's not what I want to say. Perfections, put that in there. Now, we don't know uh, the, all the circumstances of this psalm. I think the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, attributes this psalm to David. It may very well have been. I mean, his life was one lived out with this, in the midst of this kind of psalm. And what you would uh, want to note in this psalm is that, uh, or keep in the back of your mind, David went through a lot of harrowing situations. I, that's, it would be obvious if you know anything about the life of David. He was always dealing with some problem. Now, some of them he manufactured, yes, but many of them he didn't. But he was dealing with dangers, going into battle. I mean, David, he was no, he was no robo-man going into these battles, that it was a guarantee that he was going to survive. Now, we read it after the fact, and can you imagine you're lined up? Uh, some of us like battle movies. The ladies may not be quite as much into this scene as we men, some of us men would be, but you have two, two warring groups, the old kind of Napoleonic warfare, where you had, you're just facing one another, and you're just standing there, and you just keep shooting one another until... The last man standing, I guess, wins. But, you know, warfare in the days of David in the ancient Israel, it was some severe hand-to-hand -hand combat. And you just rush into the opposing army with swords and arrows and fists and shields and spears and you name it. I mean, it was bloody, it was dangerous, and you could, well, that's enough that so David faced those circumstances. Could you not see this song really psalm resonating with him as he's getting ready to go into battle? Yes, God's with us. He's with us. And we need not fear. And I think he could have legitimately have used that facing a really traumatic situation, just as we can. All right, let's go forward. I think that what the psalmist is doing here is stressing his own personal confidence in God in these first two verses. It's not hard to, to extract it. Look at it. Now, since let's break it down. Do you notice uh, two fours in these opening two verses? He mentions the name of God in four different ways. That's significant. Actually, the first verse is sort of the theme of the whole psalm. It's the header what they call the thematic verse. And he's going to unfold it through verses 2 through 16.
Well, look at these four names for God. We can't linger on them, but they are they're rich. I love these studies. Remind me, men, on Monday mornings, we're going to start next week doing a study on prayer. But I'm thinking maybe after that we need to do a series on the names of God. We did that here many years ago. I just came across my old notes. All right, let's get back to this. Most high, most high, who is this? The Hebrew is Elyon. Interesting word. It's the focus upon this focus is that strength plus sovereignty. He's above all other powers. When you're facing something that is threatening, dangerous, big, horrifying, scary, we have El Elyon who is over all things, invoking his name. Actually, that word means to go up, to ascend. And I found that Abraham used this word after a victory in battle, as a matter of fact, in Genesis in chapter 14, that God can give us victory over our enemies because he's bigger than our enemies. And then look at the next word. The word is, it's translated here, the shadow of the Almighty. The word is Shaddai. Shaddai. I'll never forget this name for God. I had a teacher in Bible college who was El Shaddai. Every time we were in Bible class, it seemed like El Shaddai came up. It means the Hebrews would say, it's the God who is more than enough. And God is the one. This is used in Exodus 6 and 3 to stress the fact that God was the one who sustained those homeless patriarchs. He's the powerful God. Special, he spe- he's capable of special deeds of power. Uh, these hero films, I don't get into them. I'm sorry, young people, you can tell me and fill me in, but I really don't get into the... I did like hero stuff, but it was the Lone Ranger, it was the Durango Kid, you know, things that really changed. That's why they have to put pastors out to pasture, you know, because you, you can't connect on things like that. But I will tell you, God has got hero names, and he's the real hero. He's the one. Then he uses the word Lord. And the word Lord here is that word, the word Yahweh. And Yahweh is the personal name of God. It's used over 6,800 times in the Old Testament. It's all over the place. Stresses his nearness. That's his personal name. And personal concern for his people. And then the word God is used. You'll see that in verse 2. That's Elohe. That's He's the plural, we know of this from Genesis, Elohim. The God of creation. This is the God who is gathered up in these names. Now, these are just some of his names. But they give the substance of the strength behind these next series of fours that he's going to say. But let me just pause and remind you that these names of God are so important. Don't read too fast through your Bible. And when you see a name, you might want to get yourself where you can hit a pause button and savor it a little bit. It's telling you, you know, we know a person by their name. Name communicates character. Oh, we could have some interesting stories. If we went, Tell me your full name. What's your first name? What's your middle name? How'd you get that middle name? Well, we know your last name, but what about that one? I mean, that opens up a lot. Oh, God's name has opened up a lot to us. And we ought to revel in them. I, I have a little experience at the gym from time to time. On one occasion, I had... I had uh, Lee Haney. I, anybody here know who Lee Haney is? Well, if you okay, you walk in the gym, in some gyms, you see his picture, Mr. Olympia. <laughs> I am not replicating it. But uh, he, Lee Haney, he's a believer. And I got to know him. I'd see him, he'd come into the gym, and he kind of walked me through what he thought was some good exercises to do and how to use the gym and everything. But he's well known. And, well, in some certain circles of where we really like to think about powerfully strong, well-built men. Well, you know, when I'm in the gym, I, I'm, when I want to talk to somebody about a certain machine or a certain exercise, and I'll, uh, I'll say, 
You know, Lee Haney told me, whoa, I've got their ear. <laughs> he says, this is probably the best machine to use in this place. That name just whoop, opens up the door and sometimes conversations. That's all I want to say about it. Names do a lot. I hope the names of God could do that. You say the name, aha, yes, this is our God. Now, notice how that substance is associated with these four other terms. Here are four word pictures. We can't linger on them. They're beautiful, rich, but we've, just, we've got to look at them. Shelter. You can see that word shelter. Shelter hides one from danger. The word shelter here is going to really be picked up a little later in verse 4 and expanded pinions. You know the picture. You've, you've probably have seen it. You're familiar with uh, birdology uh, that... Uh, and birds have a, chickens do this, eagles. It may have been a chicken or an eagle that's in the background here. And when anything threatening, they just, the feathers go out and the little fledgings come running underneath and protects them, protects them. That's what's he, what he's thinking about, Jesus. Remember Jesus used this language in, in Matthew as the, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often... I would receive you as a mother hen her chicks. You know, if you would have just come to me and gotten under my wings. Oh, if you would, but you did not. But that, that language, that's, that's what he's saying here. And then shadow, wings, is the idea, further idea on this. And then refuge, this is a place of security. Uh, refuge, David, oh, he had his places where he could go and hide. I went into one of those. It was the cave, Adullam. That's a big old cave. He could get in there. You remember some of those stories. He'd get back in the back part of that cave and they could, couldn't come into the cave and wouldn't know he was back there. And then there is Masada. Oh, Masada was a refuge, a place, a fortress. That's probably maybe in his mind when he said, protects you from attack. And so if you've ever traveled or seen to, to the uh, Middle East or to, to, to Palestine, you go out toward the Red Sea and there's this Masada, this great outcropping of, with a long flat top on it. It's very difficult to get to. So what he's thinking is this. Listen, he says, in whom I trust. That's the punchline, get it? In whom I trust. Utter reliance. That's biblical trust. Utter reliance on the God. We may not know what, and we do not know what the future holds. We have a song like that, but we know who holds the future. That's his point. Let me ask you this personal question. Is Jesus Christ your refuge? I mean, is he really? I don't mean just some words that you can thread through your, your, your mind. But is he really the God? Is you, do you trust him? When you're up against a situation, I'm looking at, we have a lot of young people over here. If you can't see them, they're over here. And uh, not flattering you adults over here, but the younger people are over here too. That, uh, that you may have some kind of test that's coming up, some kind of an exam, something where the future kind of hinges on it, something like that. Do you trust God? Trust Him, really trust Him. And I think it will have some effects upon you and any of us who face that. Or you're going in and the doctor is going to give you the report from that MRI that you had last week. Oh, no. There's something. Can I, do I really trust the Lord? Do I have a confidence that he's, uh, his, I'm under his wings, sheltering? Now, with that in mind, let's move to the next. Now, here's where the, 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 the body of this thing is, this, this psalm. Are you with me on verse 3 now? Here it is. The question, how exactly is God our refuge? Oh, this section just dances with all kinds of possibilities and how he protects us. The point is, to be under God's wings offers us the protection we need. That's his point. And the pronoun you, it's singular here, so it's very personal. It's to the audience, to us. And let's consider it. Now, I want to break it down. We're going to, we can do it easily enough. I think the verses lend themselves to this. Look at verses 3 to 6. Let's go back and look at a couple of things that, uh, and comment on those and notice what they're saying. We have protection covers all kinds of dangers. 
Well, the snare of the fowler. The, I think he's referring to plots. He's used a lot of metaphors. He's a word pictures. Known, going from the known to the unknown. And plots, things that people are seeking to do to entrap you. But he, then he says a deadly pestilence, plagues, epidemics. Oh, he is promising. Here's the promise that you have protection from widespread epidemic. You know, I read an interesting story. I just came across it this morning. And I came across it in Spurgeon's of the Treasury of David, which is a commentary of sermons on the Psalms. And he was referring to this bishop in this city. And it was in the 1500s. And there was this terrible, terrible epidemic. You know, epidemics and plagues in the ancient world. Well, they're scary any time. But they were really vulnerable. And many people, when, a, when an epidemic, um, and it could have been influenza or the Black Plague or who knows what, people would leave the area until it kind of had worked, the plague had worked its way through the population. And this bishop who was responsible for this, these people, he was advised to get on out of town. And when it blows over, when you know, all are going to die, die, and the contagion factor becomes minimal, then, but he didn't do it. And then, as a result, he went through it, taking care of people, having opportunities to share Christ and to encourage and to be. And there were others who left. Interestingly, in that situation, the story account, some of them, a couple of them died. But this man did not die. He did not die. Now, I want to be careful. I'm not saying that if you just have enough faith that you're going to have some sort of ceramic vest on you. You know, you're, you're bulletproof. But I am saying, and this is what the psalm is saying, that when you can put your trust and confidence in God when you do what you have to do and when you're doing the right thing, you do it and you trust God with it. He'll take care of you. All right, now let's go to, all right, he says this, verses 3 to 6. Um, that we can, this, the shield of faith protects us. The mother bird, the hen, it comes out vividly in those descriptions, in those phrases, cover you with his pinions, his wings, will, his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Now this is armor. Big shield is more like a door shield or half a door. But a buckler is a little smaller shield where you can do hand-to-hand combat more effective and you can be more agile on your feet. But that's, that's what he's saying and that God will keep his promises. And you will not fear the terror of the night. Don't worry about the arrows that fly by day. He's saying the things that want to really get on your mind and distract you and eat you up. He's saying his protection is shaped to fit the purposes of his loving providence and the execution of his justice. And here is this which would appear on the surface to be an unconditional promise. But let me say two things quickly. One is this, is that we're going to see a little bit later on that there is a condition, and we'd better get hold of it, okay? I've already hinted at it at the the beginning. Remember what I said? No finally evil and so on. All right, but what he's saying, that this promise of God's judgment, that it's not going to fall on those of us who are under the protective wings of God. I want to say something else. A little sidebar here. We live in some interesting days. You, uh, by by interesting, I'm I'm really understating the case. There are some, there is a moral revolution taking place. Have you noticed that? (laughs) Unless you just got back from Mars. There is, there is a moral revolution that's taking place. And you can, you can bring in other aspects of this. Uh, talk about, you know, vocabulary. and be, you're, a, you're now a bigot if you believe this and if you practice that, if you believe in traditional marriage and we've got gender fluidity and that you've got to know that there are at least 40 or according to, was it Facebook, 40 or 50 different gender kinds and all of this. Now, some of us older, some older adults in here think this, well, that's a little, 
I'm saying the younger people are facing this probably more than you may realize and what can go on out there among their peers and in schools. But it's a danger. Let me just say four things quickly as to help us navigate through what's taking place in this moral revolution in which we're in the midst of. One, God's in charge. Don't doubt that. God is in charge. He's sovereign. No matter how ugly things can get, no matter how belligerent the enemy can get, no matter how much mockery is thrown at the message of the gospel, God's in charge. Two, that the way out is through, through it God's way. We think out means give me the exit. I'm going to move off somewhere. I'm, just give me about 10 acres and a lake and get me away from all this stuff and raise my family and we'll just be self-supporting. The way out is through it. By God doing it God's way, thinking his thoughts, being strong, vigilant, discerning. Thirdly, is that we need sanctuaries. We do. We need respites. And this psalm tells us about them, that we do. This is why the home is so important. And young people who can't have a home where the, where the walls are strong. I don't mean that we don't have anything to do with other people, but that we have a place where the, place, the home is running right. Well, I've got to be careful. I don't have time to go off on this, but I'll tell you. Is your home running right? Husbands, wives, are you loving one another? Men, do you realize you are finally responsible? You, not your wife. If the Bible's read, if you go to the Word and worship with God's people, you are finally responsible. We need men. Be strong. But that takes me to the next. That we need tough minds. Tough minds. That we're not just, we don't just blow with the breeze. That we don't play political. You know, stick your finger up in there. Find out what's, ah, these poles. I get so sick of these poles. It's the measurement of the absolute foolish, whatever is most foolish at any moment in time. And, we need a tough mind. And fourthly, or fifthly, we need tender hearts. We're not to just be in your face, uh, just uh, belligerent and hard, but tender hearts. Pray for the people that offend you. Pray for these who are espousing things uh, that you say, that's wrong, that's not right. That's not the way God designed this world. You're mocking God. Pray for them. Don't get mean and mad. Turn that righteous anger into prayer, intercession. All right, so I need to say, we've got to step on it here. Look at the next verses 11 through 13. Don't have time to go through all of the statements on this. They're so beautiful. Can I read along and just make a comment and get down? Hurry to get to verse 13. He says, because you made the Lord your dwelling place. You see that contingency? Making him your, that's, that's a choice that you make. We must make it. That's the condition for the protection of, of God. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in your ways and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. I'm into verses 11 and 13 with what I'm about to say. So if you're following me closely, listen to this. Did those verses ring a bell? Uh, uh, you got it. Did you know the only occasion in the Bible where we have the devil quoting scripture? He got to Psalm 91 before you did. The devil know well, he knows something about Psalm 91. He quoted to Jesus. He quoted these verses and he said, he went into those three temptations. And this is the one where he took him up to the pinnacle of the temple and was way up there, a few hundred feet. Throw yourself down, Jesus, and you'll, God will send angels to bear you up. And wow, better than evil can evil on that one. Look what you, look, look, you'll dazzle everyone. They'll fall down and you can be seen as the king that you proclaim to be. No, 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 no. 
You know what he did? You know what he's saying? This is the way the evil one works. He left out some of it. And when you look over there in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew 4, you'll see he left out these words. The words that say that in your ways, all your ways, verse 11, to guard you in all your ways. Why did the devil omit that? Because the ways that Jesus would, where he would go and what he would do, it was, his ways were circumscribed, they were defined, they were determined by what pleased the Father. You do what God's will calls you to do, his moral will. In the case of Jesus, it was his work of redemption which required the cross. Satan was trying to get him using this to dodge, to back out of, to get him, separate him, dislodge Jesus from his commitment to the will and the plan of the Father to go to the cross and die for our sins. He left out part of the verse. So as you look at him more carefully, you realize then that what he's saying at this point is that, no, we can't tempt God and expect him to come and rescue us. No, we can't do that. Um, (laughs) I was talking with my brother and his wife uh, the other day about this. They were in Turkey in the Peace Corps, and they had the occasion to meet, of all things, to meet a couple that we had known, Beth and I had known in Bible college. They were missionaries. This was in Turkey. This was back in the 1960s. And so they had the occasion to have a social uh, out uh, a time together, to go out and eat together, my brother and his wife and this other couple. And this other couple, they had a small child, an infant. But they were just merely going on about the word, uh, plans to go out. And they left home and went out. And they were asked, well, do you have child care? No. The Lord will take care of our baby. They went out. And I mean, and this was not exactly in the middle of uh, Fayetteville, Georgia, as bad as it would be there even. But where it was and when it was, that's uh, trying to tempt God, test him, put him to the test. No, no, that's, that's not what's going on here. So let's look at it now more closely, a little further. On their hands they'll bear you up. You will tread your feet in the line and the adder. And I can't resist this one. I, I do have a celebration here on this psalm. Yeah, this is, it fits. You can celebrate. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for protecting me. Beth and I were walking down our street. This was just a couple of years ago. And uh, we were walking along. And I'm over near the curb, thankfully not too close to the edge. And I saw the corner of my eye that something came out at me. I looked down, it was a copperhead. And he must have missed me by just uh, inches. And um, I got caught up in the combat of the whole thing. But then I was a copperhead no longer lived. But uh, I I said, thank you, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Okay, God does give us deliverances. Have you ever stopped? Oh, I'm way off on this time, but you have stopped and think when you were a kid. Some of us can. And what you did and what you went through, and you're here right now smiling. If you and I had known what the Lord had delivered us from coming along, well, you wouldn't be here. Okay, that's enough of that. But uh, because now I want us to, I want us to do this. We're coming back to this very important point. That there are qualifications. There is a question that's left hanging in the air. And here it is. God is not to be tempted. We don't jump off a cliff into water below. And with good reason, there may be rocks down there, but we're going to jump anyway. No, 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 no. That's not using this. You can't use that psalm, this psalm, for that kind or getting on a motorcycle and going in and out of traffic at 110 miles an hour without a helmet. No, 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 no. That's just being a fool, and you can't claim this for that. However, however, there are some things here. There is something here that's very important to consider. Can you get brain cancer under these wings? 
Can some terrible things happen to us under those wings? Would you hold that for a minute? I'm going to hurry to get there. That's the conclusion. But I I ask that question, and let's go to verses 14 through 16. To be under God's wings now, notice the shift. We're out of the U's and we're back to the I. And guess who the I is at this point? It's God himself speaking through the psalmist. I, you see this a, a few times in the, in the Old Testament, in, the, in Psalms, where God comes into, you say, well, I, wait, I thought God, Scripture is, all Scripture is God breathed. Yes, it is. The Spirit does it. The, you can find this in Acts where the Psalms are quoted and they're quoted in such a way as the Spirit says. So God is behind the writing of it. He's breathing out His Word. But yet God comes into the narrative and He's speaking directly. This is God. This is the I. And He, he says, because He holds fast to me, who is the He? The He is the you. You hold fast to it. I got, I got off on this word. Hold fast to me in love. That's not the normal word for love, by the way, in the Old Testament. This word means to run up and reach out and grab and hug and hold too closely. Not used that often, but used here in that way. Holding close to, hugging. And he's saying, you hold fast to me. You hug me. You embrace me. You trust me. And I'm going to deliver you. I will protect him because he knows my name. So did you get this? To be under God's wings and are God's provisions declared by his promises. See these things? There are three of them here. The first of all is that he says, I will deliver, I will protect him because he knows my name. And what is that about the name? You reach out and know God because of his character and who he is. And it gives you, it gives you strength, confidence. It does. And he says, call upon me. Oh, Lord, I'm trusting you in this situation. Oh, Lord, I don't know why you have made this. You have determined that this is going to come out in a way different than what I anticipated and wanted. But I'm calling on you. And he said, I'll be with you. And look at that little word. Words are so important, aren't they? He says, I'm going to get you out of all your troubles. He says, in your trouble. See that? He does not always lift us up and out of troubles. As I said earlier, the way often, the way, the way out is through God's way. And I'll rescue it on him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And that he's going to, this, this really intrigues me. And I, it, it, I, can't, I, I can't really squeeze it. But if you notice this, that in the Old Testament particularly, it speaks of, Lengthening your life when you obey God. And I kind of came along through my early years as a Christian thinking, well, if I do right, I'm going to live long, a long time. And then people who did right and love God, and they didn't live long. But I think there is certainly an element of truth in this sense. Here it is. Historical, theological context. When was this written? In the theocracy. You know what that was? Where God gave the Mosaic law. All these laws. And he said, this is the way I want you to live as a people, whether you are a converted Jew or an unconverted Jew. You follow my law and things are... Can be, just look at Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28. Things are going to be copacetic for you as a people. You'll have troubles, but I'm going to protect you from an awful lot of bad stuff. Like the one obeying your mother and your father and live long in the land. You're familiar. That is quoted in the New Testament. So there is an element of truth in here for us that if we do things God's way, we are going to increase the, can I say it this way? The odds, the percentages. You're going to avoid some trouble. All right, that's enough here. He's saying that I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. So God works on behalf of those who are his. Then in verse 15, he have, we have his presence in our trouble, in, in all our troubles. And then he promises that he is going to give complete satisfaction in him. And you're satisfied in him, that's exquisite, that's delicious, that is delightful. That's where you want to live and see life and experience the difficulties that come to us.
But here we are. I am concluding with something that I've thrown out there with a little bait along the way, and here it is. I want to make two statements in conclusion. One, there is a bona fide sense of security that comes with conditions. There is. You trust God, and he's going to do some stupendous things for you. He's going to deliver you. He's going to do some wonderful things of extracting you or enabling you to deal with hardships. And joyfully, and you be joyfully so, not grimly so, joyfully so. But I ask you that question again. Are you trusting in him? Are you? Are you? You're trusting him with all your heart. Secondly, but we can't walk away from the promise of verse 10, which says, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. How do we unlock what on the surface may seem like a paradox and a contradiction? Are you with me on that? On the one he says, okay, here, carte blanche. You got it. You're home free. No, 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 no evil will befall you. But does that mean you can't get brain cancer? Does that mean if you have a, uh, if you go to court and you've got a hearing and you've got a just cause and then the, the court, the judge rules against you and that's not, in a, in a way that, that doesn't seem ethically or morally right. Wait a minute. Or my child is, one child gets the flu and survives and another gets the flu and doesn't survive. How do you sort this out? I thought about this. I thought about it because I believe me, I've had this question. <laughs> Look at it this way. I think the clue to this is found in this way, in this place. I'll, I'll just hasten right up to where I think the, the key fact is on this. Jesus Christ, when he faced the cross and in the garden, you know the story well. He cries out, he cries out, oh, my Lord, if you will, deliver me from this. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And you get the impression that he would kind of like, is it possible to see salvation come in some other way than what I'm about to go through to bear the weight of sin on the sinless Son of God? We can't even begin to understand and appreciate that, the gravity of that. And he says, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours. I'll trust you. And then on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did God withdraw his wings over his own son at that moment? Did God cease loving him at that moment? Oh, please get this. This is very important. This may be preempting. I hope it will if it settles in the way it should. From some bitterness and from cynicism with regard to Christianity and dealing with trials. Because Jesus Christ, God the Father, had his wings, his pinions over him. And he was spat upon, he was mocked, and he was killed, and he died. It doesn't get any worse than that. But in the process, the evil one was defeated big time. Crushed his head, as it were, decapitated the copperhead. And that Jesus Christ had his heel bruised. Yes, he was bitten and he died, but he defeated Satan. And though the pinions, the wings were over him, he went through the dark night of his soul and such agony, such agony, and left us, therefore, a way to see our way through difficulties, disappointments, discouragements, things that happen to us. And we say, why, Lord? And you're in your tears. And you're emotionally in a storm like you've never been through before. And you're saying, God, I can't. But Lord, I know that your pinions, your wings are over me. I came across this. This is a, this is a quote that I found very helpful. I, I had an article that I came on back 21 years ago, and I kept it. It was by Cornelius Plantinga, uh, Jr. He was a professor at, at Calvin College, and he wrote this article in Christianity Today in 1998. Just in, in the title of the article is, can, can God be trusted? It really helped me think through this. 
again. And here's what he says. It's a long article, but he says this. He said, we are like fledglings who scuttle under the wings of their parent. The forces of the evil beat on those wings with everything they have. When it's finished, when evil has done its worst, those wings are all bloodied and busted and hanging at wrong angles. And to tell you the truth, in all the commotion, we too get roughed up quite a bit. (laughs) Oh, do we? But we are all right. Because those wings have never folded. They are spread out to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And when the feathers quit flying, we peep out and discover that we have been in the only place that was not leveled. No final evil. I've got God no matter what happens. And he loves me. And he's doing what's best for me. And yes, it hurts now. And one day my tears will be wiped away. And he's going to give me a better grasp, a much clearer grasp. In the meantime, I'm not going to let go of it. And that our nest is sheltered and feathered because of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord God, help us with this. Some of us struggle with this mightily. Lord, there are those of us who are sitting here this morning who are hurting, grieving. Oh, we need your comfort at this point. And thank you for this beautiful psalm and that we are sheltered and feathered because of Jesus Christ. Father, if there is one in our midst this morning who has never put his or her faith in the Savior for salvation from sin and eternal life, Oh, God, I pray they will run to you and fall down this moment even, this day, to come to faith in Christ. And Lord, for the one who is most discouraged this morning, I pray you will lift our spirits as we peep out from under those feathers and we see that we've been kept. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.